Preston, welcome Thank to the you. podcast. You've been at our church for a few days now, and it's been a gift. Uh, you've you shared multiple nights with different ministries, hosted a couple events, uh, stuff that you do a lot of. But uh, it's just been it's been amazing to have you here and get to know you a little bit better and. Mm-hmm. Uh, truly, it's it's just been a gift for our staff. So I just want to say uh, thank you first. Yeah, no, it's been so good being here. I mean, I'm, I'm in, you know, a lot of churches th- throughout the year. And I mean, this one has definitely been among the more hospitable. It's been like a really easy church to be at. So well, thank you for having me. It's a good thing yeah. to be known for, I guess. Um, <laughs> hopefully others, if they're listening and they come, they experience the same thing. But it's definitely a value to to mm-hmm. treat people that way. And um, w- one thing about you that, that I would say was refreshing throughout these past couple of days is your, I, I, I don't know if you feel this way, but I feel like unofficially uh, for a lot of people in the evangelical world, you know, particular denominations maybe are, are starting to look to you as, hey, this is, mm-hmm. I, this, I'm starting, Preston's put his finger on what I feel like I've been wrestling with as, can I have orthodoxy, but I can I still be loving? And, you know, your book, People to be Loved, uh, which I know was released a few years ago, but really illuminated that for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's refreshing about it is I feel like you're you're not trying to make a statement. You know, we talked a little bit about what the agenda is and, you know, there's all these things. You're not trying to like, here's the stance of God and let's all do this because those people are bad and we have it right. right. And I think that's sometimes where we try to get to because we're grappling and it's frustrating and confusing. But I'd say it's also equally frustrating because it's refreshing, but it's frustrating because <laughs> like, well, Preston, can you just give me the answer? Because I just want you to tell me what to do and what to believe. And it which right. probably is not a good thing for anybody to ever do for anyone. Yeah. Uh, but I, do you feel that pressure at all? Like around people <laughs> saying like, okay, that statement was good, but the other one, could you change that? Yeah. Or like, what is that? What, how, how do you manage that? Well, yeah, it's been a journey, let's say. I, you know, yeah, I do see that a lot, especially, you know, the conversation around sex, sexuality, gender. I mean, it's very volatile. Um, There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of people who have drifted theologically. So I think we're just, we're just in a very fearful time. And when people operate out of fear, you know, that's typically not a, you're not going to get a a good, healthy response. Um, And yeah, you know, for me, I'm a big fan of not just knowing what I believe, but why I believe it. Yeah. Like I want to interrogate my own beliefs mm-hmm. with the scriptures. And sometimes that takes time. And so when people want like a, th- a thin, quick answer to a really thick, complex question, I think that's unhelpful. I mean, I think sometimes fear drives you to grab hold of a theological conclusion um, without even really caring about like evidence for that and counter arguments and why do you believe this? And could you defend this on stage with a really smart person who disagrees. So I want yeah, well. people to appreciate and understand the complexity so that their theological roots are much deeper. So that's, I guess that's sometimes uh, people don't understand that. Like my goal is that their theological roots will be much, much deeper in the soil. Cause right now a lot of roots aren't that deep yeah. and that tree will, as you know, the analogy, you know, the, the tree will blow over yes. when the wind comes. So I want to sink those roots deep, but you can only do that by getting your hands dirty and digging in the soil and nurturing the soil. Um, so my ultimate goal is I do think there are theological right and wrong answers, and I mm. want people to embrace the truth and not just verbally assent to it, but actually believe it. Yeah, I think that's something I've noticed as, you know, I'm a young pastor, you know, I went to Bible school, did got the credentials, mm. did the thing, but there's so many things you, I mean, even in, in college or seminary, whatever it is, 
you just can't dive deep enough. You know, there's only so yeah. much time that the bell's going to ring or mm-hmm. the, the professor has another class or he's busy or whatever it is. And there's something to be said about you have to do some of this on your own afterwards. I mean, I, I think the assumption of most people in the church, uh, just members would say, well, isn't that what they're doing all week, pastors? They're they're just reading the Bible all week long and they're, <laughs> they're studying the word. And, you know, maybe there are times where that's yeah. appropriate, but we're dealing with people. There are people problems. There are system problems. The larger the church you get, there's more problems more problems, mm-hmm. you know, but regardless of what it is, we're talking about there's things going on in our community right now that we're wrestling with. There's there's real problems that as a pastor, you've put yourself in the arena to say, I'm here to be a voice in this. And mm-hmm. so sometimes you don't always have the time, but I think you mentioned it a little bit about can we articulate this? And maybe we're not going to be on stage in a debate format with an expert on the other side, right. but in the same way, you know, the Bible says for those who teach the word, they'll be judged more harshly. Mm-hmm. So how much more important is that for us who are teaching the word mm-hmm. to know the word and know what we're teaching? And I think there takes yeah. some humility in that to right. say, well, I have my seminary or I have my credentials or I'm ordained or I've done this for years. Mm-hmm. There's there's that humility. How have you managed yeah. that humility? I feel like you do it so well, but it doesn't start. It's not like it starts. You're just like, oh, I was the most humble person ever. <laughs> <laughs> like Moses, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. So, so I've been through a lot of theological education. I, I went to my undergrad was in Bible. My, you know, got a three and a half year, ninety eight unit, you know, master uh, master of divinity, mm-hmm. which is kind of an arrogant term, right? Like <laughs> I have mastered divinity, sure. but. Um, and then I went on to do a PhD in in New, in New Testament, another three four years. Um, and with each stage, so I you know I get done to the Bible school, Bible call undergraduate. And I'm like, all right, I got all my right answers down. You know, like I really feel, I feel like, do I really even need to go to seminary? You know? Then I go to seminary. I'm like, I don't know anything. Yeah. <laughs> then I get out of there. I'm like, all right, all right, I want to go do a PhD because I guess I need that to teach. And then I remember getting to. Um, to a PhD program. And I just felt like instant, like the village idiot, you know, and, mm-hmm. and like, how did I even get in here? And, it, you know, um, so I feel like in my journey, I've, I've, I'm constantly have been in environments where there's a lot of people much smarter th- than me. And so I feel like it has been a journey towards being um, more, I guess, theologically humble. And, and that, that doesn't, that's not at the expense of conviction. Like there's, healthy conviction and really unhealthy convictions. Unhealthy convictions are, I'm, I feel so strongly as viewpoint, but again, the roots are really shallow. And I'm like, I want those re- roots to sink deep. And sometimes that make might take several years, mm-hmm. you know? And so I remember, I'll tell a quick story. I mean, or I, I started, I kind of fell into this conversation about uh, the Bible and homosexuality and LGBTQ questions and it was about eight or nine years ago when I really started to say, you know, I want to know why I believe what I believe, not just what I believe. And so I kind of laid um, laid both views out, same-sex marriage, opposite-sex marriage, and said, I, I know which one I grew up believing, and I think that's true, but honestly, I've never really studied the Bible with an open mind. Yeah. And so I remember uh, I was, I liked it when I'm thinking through a topic, I like to blog my thoughts out loud, which is really dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> But I remember like coming across certain passages like Sodom and Gomorrah and like, I just, you know, grew up, this is condemning gay people or whatever. And it's like, well, if you, you know, you read that passage and you have a whole, the whole entire male population of the city approach Lot's house and they're banging on the door because they're trying to, and, and if I can speak frankly, yeah, they're yeah. trying to gang rape 
to angelic beings who appeared as as men. And then I'm talking to my gay friends and asking them, you know, um, hey, do you, are you do you have a do you, are you like tempted to gang rape and angelic beings? Is that like something you're into? And they're like, no, no, I've never really struggled sure. with that. You know, I said, well, when when Christians read Sodom and Gomorrah to you and say, hey, you're wrong. Look at look at this passage. The Bible condemns this whatever. How does that make you feel? And they see that it's about some exploitative gang rape kind of thing. And they're like, yeah, it makes me feel like a monster. That's not, that's not, you know, yeah. I'm not, that's that this path, there's a same sex element in the passage, but it's not the kind of thing I'm wrestling with. So, so here I am, you know, working through the scriptures and trying to say, okay, what, what does the Bible say? And I remember, you know, even blogging through that passage and people were getting really nervous, like, well, wait a minute. No, we know Sodom, you know, it's like they, they, they didn't want to look at the passage with any other nuance and, they needed to know where 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 do you stand? I was getting emails. Yeah. Where do you stand? I'm like, I don't I don't know. Like I'm I'm only halfway through Genesis. Like I, I'll let you know when I get through <laughs> Revelation. And that made quote unquote Bible believing Christians nervous that I was willing to study the Bible yeah. and be patient and let the Bible dictate my beliefs. Now that that sounds like a really kind of really conservative thing, right? Like sure. I want the Bible to dictate my beliefs. But sometimes when we do that in practice, that requires patience requires humility, requires, you know, interrogating your own beliefs with the actual scriptures and being willing to go where the Bible leads. Now, for, for my for my audience, and you, I mean, you guys know this, but I mean, having done that, I landed as firmly as I could ever land on uh, a traditional marriage. I think yeah. the Bible clearly says that marriage is between a man and a woman. All sexual relationships, including same-sex sexual relationships outside of that are, are, are sin. So, um but I, I, th- my, my confidence in that belief is so much stronger because I was willing to be, be patient and, and really look at this question from every angle. Um, yeah. yeah. So it's, yeah, my, my, you know, my, my passion in the theology of this is out of a deep, deep concern and reverence for the Word of God. Yeah, and that's something I, I appreciated about I appreciate about all your books, but it, it it feels like they're you're taking us on that journey, and I, and I don't know if that was intentional or if it's just a byproduct of the mm-hmm. journey, uh, but it feels like hey, this is here's here's the quote unquote problem, but he, here's the here's the sin, here's the people, here's the stories. Let's talk about this, and then let's look at what the Word of God has to say. And and truthfully, even today, as you were talking to our staff about this, I felt like God is speaking to me and saying. Think about this, think this way about every issue of sin. And that was one of the questions that was brought up is like, well, should we treat like, should we treat pride with the same level of intricacy? And it should we teach gluttony and should we Mm -hmm. teach, you know, uh, obviously you look at divorce. It's like Mm -hmm. 50% of Christians are divorced. Well, what does that say to the world about, I mean, when I read scripture and really dive in, I think God really detests divorce. Mm -hmm. He's saying what, like, this is a covenant relationship. It's it's the one that symbolizes as as maybe closely as we can on earth to what a covenant relationship looks like with Jesus, not in perfect sense, but you know, what God brought together, don't let man tear apart. And and then I look at kind of how the church has been. And and again, I know there's people listening who are maybe divorced. And it's like, yeah, that's hard to say, but there's also people listening who have same-sex attraction. That's hard to say. Right, you have point. to have, like, if you're willing to say, like, God wants the homosexuals to go to hell. It's like, well, okay, what do you mean by that? Yeah. And like, is that rhetoric helpful? And you've talked yeah. about it, but can we have consistency in what God calls sin? Mm-hmm. And then looking at the life of Jesus of how did he react? I mean, a woman caught in adultery, she should be stoned. The Jewish law was pretty mm-hmm. clear. I mean, 
But Jesus does something different. Mm-hmm. Why did he do something different? Because he was yeah. probably trying to teach us something. So th- those are just things I'm processing too. No, I mean, you're hitting all those. Yeah, that's, that's it. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, I, honestly, early on in my research, I, you know, I, I learned early on that Jesus never directly mentions homosexuality. You yeah. Know? I was, I, and, you know, it was interesting. I, I've got a PhD in the New Testament and I didn't even know that. Yeah. I had some students ask me, hey, what does the Bible say about homosexuality? I'm like, you know, just go read the red letters of Jesus. I'm sure you'll get some guidance. They're like, well, sure. he never mentions it. So yeah. I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, well, I just assumed he did. And I got a PhD in the New Testament. I didn't know. So what, what other blind spots might, yeah. I, might I have? Um, but, you know, so, so w- but when you look at the life, and just to be clear, too, uh, uh, Jesus does define marriage in Matthew 19, yeah. Mark 10. So he does have significant theological things to say about this conversation. Um, But when you look at the life and pattern of Jesus, he consistently preached a high standard of truth. Like he had a high ethical standard of how to live. But then when you see him interact with people, he excessively loved and humanized people who fell short of that standard. The Mm -hmm. woman at the well is a classic example. You know, I mean, the, the, in a sense, the Jewish leaders weren't doing anything wrong according to their religious standard, you know, mm-hmm. like you said. But Jesus jumps into the, in the middle of the firing squad. Like, I mean, you think practically, like he goes next to the woman, he could have gotten stones thrown at him, yeah. you know, and um, and he says, who's here left to condemn you? Nobody's yeah. here, Lord, and, you know, neither do I. And then he says, and then he says, sin, sin no more, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of people only kind of focus on that, but I'm like, yeah, I Again, sin no more, uh, repentance, absolutely. This is, our, you know, what we should be preaching this. But are we willing to stand next to the woman and say, neither do I condemn you? Yeah. Now, what, you know, people are like, yes, I would. What if it was a gay man caught in adultery? Mm-hmm. <laughs> would we still stand next to that person and say, I do not condemn you, go and sin no more? So you see patterns in the life and rhythm of Jesus that I think are just... I mean, so beautiful on so many levels and challenging and messy, but I think they can really help us establish our own rhythms for how we can maintain this kind of grace, truth, tension when it comes to the LGBT conversation. This is a question I've been wrestling with and having someone with a doctorate in New Testament with me, I have to take advantage of it. But I was processing through this with a friend a, a few weeks ago, but like reading the the letters of Paul and, mm-hmm. you know, even Paul being very vulnerable in his own sin and his mm-hmm. own, you know, the thorn in his flesh and the, you know, I, I, I can't do this, you know, talking about finishing the race, but it's like Paul's on a journey throughout the rest of his life, carrying with these, these sins and these temptations. Um, the question of like, what would Jesus do? You know, mm-hmm. I think that's what I'm wrestling with. It's it's a really tough standard, of course, yeah. <laughs> to say what would Jesus do. Like, do you feel that that the the literary you know arc, the the canon of the of the New Testament specifically, is like to me the message is point people to Jesus. Now, not saying what would Jesus do is wrong, but like I feel like that weight is too heavy for me to bear to say like what would Jesus do? Mm. Well, wow, like like if someone hey, well what what does Jesus think about mm. this? I don't know. Like that's a, he's the son of God. He's the Messiah. He's the King. Like he was there at the beginning. Like, I don't, do you, do you understand my question per se? I feel like, am I, is that a, a huh. worthy desire to say we should follow and be like Jesus? And I know it says, you know, oh, we, yeah, we will yeah. be like him, but that's what I'm processing. Yeah. Well, I, it is an impossible standard, obviously, but he does, um, 
you know, so he's sinless. We will never be sinless. Yeah. Uh, he's the son of God. We'll never be the son of God. Um, he was single. Some of us are married, you know. Sure. Um, so, so there is, I think, I'd love your question because it does provide some some nuance. Like, just to say, we want to follow Jesus, be like Jesus. What exactly does that mean? Um, I do think that there are, um, there is a, a thread to Jesus's life that, where he does kind of say, you know, just in general, you know, just disciples, you know, do this, yeah. do that, don't do this, don't do that. And, and in his life, he does kind of model that uh, behavior. So the very behavior he's encouraging his disciples to do, he is kind of living that out. Um, and then you have, you know, a classic text, First Peter 2, where very much it was, you know, Peter says, you know, here's how Jesus lived. We need to pattern ourselves, like mm-hmm. walk in the footsteps of yep. Jesus. So, so while there are, and, and again, we do need to remind ourselves, we will always do that imperfectly. Um, we will fall sh- short of that standard. But I do think there's a pattern of life um, that is being established for us to, to follow in. Yeah. 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 It's just something I've wrestled with mm-hmm. is like, and I think the what, I, what I'm learning about you and others is I feel like the, the smarter the people that I'm around, the, the more questions they ask. And, and it's, <laughs> I, I think it's kind of the uh, broad brush of like, you know, you look at the, uh, the social media wars right now and it's like, you know, whether it's about, you know, public health or it be about, you know, politics or things, you look at the people who do the all caps lock, like, you know, whatever, <laughs> this is the statement and, and you're, and again, not, not to say like those people are idiots, but it's, it's generally like people where you're like, wow, like that, it doesn't feel like you're thinking a lot about mm. who that's going to affect, you know? Yeah. And and people, I think, who have degrees or higher education or PhDs, I think part of that is you're careful because you do have a lot of education. It's like, well, if I say this, that means I have to mean it. Mm-hmm. And that means I have to know it. Do you feel like in, even when you teach now, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm sure the answer is yes, but do you feel like you're, you're changing your stance on things? Do you feel like you're, if you're, if you're not like how far, uh, this is my question. All <laughs> how far do you have to be like fully knowledgeable to teach on something? Mm. Like, like oh, that's a huge question. For for me, I w- let's just stick maybe just stick to LGBTQ sure. questions. Um, I typically, and this is why I hold off being publicly confident about a certain view until I'm really well read. And for me personally, this isn't for everybody. Um, it's more the way I'm wired and maybe I still have shell shock from my PhD examination, you know? Um, but I, I, I do, before I like really land super strongly on a certain viewpoint, I mean, I like to really think through it mm-hmm. really think through it. Cause I don't want to, if I miss some argument, I didn't think about it, some perspective, then yeah, that's kind of embarrassing. You are public with a view and then you later on change that view. So, so on the major points, if I'm public with it, no, I haven't changed. And I don't, I feel like I've exhausted all the other options, wrestled with them, considered them before I, so I, I don't foresee myself changing at all um, on that. But there are a lot of, a lot of, you know, gray area, secondary things, or maybe even some, some piece, pieces of evidence that you once used to support a view that maybe one piece, I'm like, yeah, sure. actually that piece isn't as strong as I thought, or there's another piece that's stronger. But that doesn't mean my viewpoint is is changing. But there's a lot of just, a, as you know, as we talked about the last two days, all these kind of like pastoral responses. Okay, here's our theology. Here's what we believe. And here's a thousand different situations where, you know, 
we're going to have to embody both grace and truth. What does that look like? And, and some of those responses, yeah, I'm constantly thinking and rethinking. And uh, we talked about, uh, you know, pronouns, you know, whether it be mm-hmm. someone's pronouns or attending the same sex wedding or, you know, various things along those lines. And yeah, I'm constantly kind of on a, on a, on a journey there, you mm-hmm. know? Um, but that's, that's, if you're not, then yeah, that's, I think that is a, I think that is a problem. You mm-hmm. know, some of these things are so complex and, um, I don't, I don't know if there is a one size fits all black and white answer for all the, every single pastoral response. So, um, yeah. I, I feel like some pastors don't feel the need to have the conversation un, until it gets there, yeah. you know, which, which of course, what is, what does that mean? But, um, it's, oh, there's none of those, those people in our church or there's none of those people in our community or, you know, and, and I think even saying those people or whatever it is, is, is problematic. <laughs> but, um, you know, I even think in my life, I grew up in a, at a time where, um, you know, being gay was kind of like, that was the the bullying dig of the day, but it was like also starting, people were starting to come out a little bit more. Like I'm an older Gen Z, so mm-hmm, it's, mm-hmm. it wasn't as prevalent, but like I was, people in school would call me gay, mm. uh, like as just a dig all the time because I loved fashion and I would wear mm. red pants and orange pants and whatever. <laughs> and I would do these things and it was like, I've not experienced, you know, same-sex attraction. I've not had yeah. that. But even as someone who is pretty confident as a freshman in high school, um, you know, it affects you and it's you ask questions and then it's yeah. like, okay, so I'm dealing with that. And then I have real friends who are who not only have the bullying, but then they have the temptation that comes alongside of that. And then they have a, a, a wrestling and like some of my teachers are, are gay and lesbian and then there's bullying. And it's just like, Nowadays, it's so prevalent in people's mm-hmm. lives. So what I would say to a pastor, and I'd love you to expand on this, is like, it's not not your problem anymore, I right. think. like, Not that it ever was, yeah. and I don't no, want I that to it. be yeah. said, but it's like, it is so a part of our society now. And I'm sure you've seen yeah. that more and more, even as the books have been written. Yeah. Let me, and you know, I've been in ministry. I've got so many pastor friends. I know that the the grind of full-time ministry is mm-hmm. just, it's, um, as my seminary professors would t- told us, you know, if you could do anything else, do it. <laughs> like, the, <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is not for the faint-hearted. So pastors, leaders listening, man, just, first of all, thank you for yeah. um, serving the church in so many different, and now, you know, you have every given week, you know, you've got 30 different issues to work through and divorce here, marriage here and sexual morality here and budget crisis and, yeah. pot, and sermon to prepare and somebody died at the wrong time. And now you got to have a funeral, you know, I, I get occasionally the, have hope and joy. Golly, and, you know. Yeah. So I get the daily grind, but let me, let me, let me say this, um, questions surrounding sexuality and gender have become the, some of, if not the most pressing ethical questions facing the church today. Um, 83% of LGBT people were raised in the church. Wow. Now, most of them weren't out. They weren't public because they're scared to death to talk about it. And so they end up leaving the church. 51%, according to a large study, left the church by the time they're 18. So whatever you see about that gay community over there, they were the loud and proud people over there. They were once silent and scared in our churches, and they are in mm. your churches now. A recent study just came out, or a year ago, it said that one out of every six Gen Z identifies as LGBTQ. Mm-hmm. Just last week, another study came out and said 
39% of Gen Z identifies as LGBTQ, and 30% of Christian Gen Z identifies wow. as LGBTQ. So in 2021, it, and I'm going to say something bold here, so hear my heart, but I do think it's pastorally irresponsible to not help disciple your people in some of the most pressing ethical questions facing the church today. Ten mm-hmm. years ago, even then, I would say the numbers were still there. We needed to work. We should have done it ten years ago. But to say, like, I'm just going to wait until you know it comes up. That's just. It's never really healthy to respond in reaction, you know, my elder's kid just came out as gay. Like, okay, now, now, okay, now what would we do? It's like, it's, 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 I want to say it's too late, but like, why not prepare your leaders in your congregation? Mm-hmm. For, not just for that moment. Like that's just, that that's going to happen. But already so many people ask a single Christian if they have any thoughts on LGBTQ questions. And few would say like, yeah, don't really have any interest or don't have an opinion. You know, yeah. let's disciple people well so that they can uh, imitate. Jesus and and be biblical uh, in both grace and truth and how they think through this. So yes, silence isn't an option. If I can yeah. be so bold, si- just saying we're not going to touch this. That's that's not that's not an option. Yeah, today. I think about Paul and the way he wrote to the different churches and the different needs that they had. And you know, obviously there was a lot of similarities, but there, hey, you know, you guys are gossiping and you need to stop it. And it's <laughs> like you know, but and obviously that's he did it with a little bit more tact than that. But it's yeah. like because he knew them. But then there was others where he's, oh, I'm just so grateful that you're loving Jesus. And yeah, I know there's issues and there's sexuality and there's problems and stuff, but isn't it beautiful? We have a church in this community now. And it's like, uh, he's he's handling these different, when some of them he's saying, I'm going to be with you soon. Others he's saying, I'm sending Timothy. You know, it's like, there are, there's ways to pastor people. And in America right now, like this is an issue, like, and again, it's even saying issue, but it's, no, this yeah. is, this is one of the things that we need to pastor people in and how to, you know, parents are asking the question because they're kids. And, yeah. and and I would say, and, and again, I'm not a parent yet, but I think parents are probably the ones coming to mm-hmm. the pastor more, yeah. maybe, especially a lead pastor, yeah. more than the students or the kids are. It's what, what do I do? My, tell, tell them, you know, yeah. it's like, tell them <laughs> Fix what. Fix my kid. Yeah, or, yeah, whatever it is. Yeah, you know, um, there's a saying that, you know, when kids come out of the closet, parents, their parents go into the closet. Mm. And I, I do think part of this conversation is not only walking with people in our congregation who are in our congregations wrestling with their sexuality or gender identity, um, but also pastoring the parents. You know, mm-hmm. um, that's that's a huge, huge need. We, we um, my organization, the the Center for Faith, Sexuality, and Gender, we we produce a lot of digital resources for the church, mm-hmm. and the one we're just finishing up right now is called Parents of LGBT. Uh, cute kids. Yeah. So it's a video-based curriculum. I'm not, this isn't a selling point, but like it's a, it's a curriculum to help yeah. parents navigate this because we always look out and say, what are the greatest needs? We're, what's the percentage of emails we're getting? You know, and in the last couple of years, it's been from parents, man. So, um, but we, I'd say this because we sent out a survey, a pretty long survey. It takes like a half hour to fill out. And it was like, hey, if you're a parent, a Christian parent who believes in a traditional sexual ethic, and you have a kid who identifies as LGBTQ, uh, maybe they're old, young, maybe they just came out, whatever. We would love it if you fill, fill out the survey. We thought we'd get a couple dozen, you know. We got over 500, wow. 500 parents fill this out. And that's just, you know, you know the you know newsletters, like you have like a 40% open rate yeah. and then another small percentage actually reads it. So mm-hmm. that there's that many Christian parents out, like that's um, astounding. Everywhere I go and speak, and I, you know, 
almost every week I'm in a different place. Um, and so many parents come up to me. A, a lot of them are like, I, 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 I don't know who to talk to. And some of them are like, I'm scared to talk to my pastor. Because again, when, when kids go into the clo- come out of the closet, parents go in and that kind of closeted feeling of like shame and I'm scared what people will think. I'm, you know, parents go through that. Not to the same degree that like LGBT kids grow up with that kind of like, oh, I'm scared to talk to somebody. Uh, but a lot of parents are. I know parents that have not told anybody for like years, you know, because mm. they're so much, they're so scared of how people are going to respond. Are, are they going to think I'm a terrible parent? It's my fault. There's all kinds of stuff that they're wrestling with. So at the very least, like um, helping disciple parents through this conversation would be a huge, huge, huge need in the church today. Absolutely. I think one of the fears maybe. It- that I'm, I'm seeing. And I think, you know, this is maybe where some of the political um, polarization is happening, but it's like CRT in schools, you know, there's there's like how we're teaching and, you know, some, I don't know, you watch the school board meetings, which who knew school board meetings were going to become this like popular and crazy. And like the school board races are like, to the we're like, wow, this is insane. PTA meetings used to be boring. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But now they're like the most exciting TV. Um, But, but you look at people and they're, they're fighting on these issues, but it's, I, I see a little bit of like, uh, you know, I'm a, this is, this is even a joke that, that happens and I'm sure you've heard it before, but it's like, oh, I'm a cisgender, straight, white, Christian, conservative, you know, it's like, I'm the, in intersectionality, I'm, I'm the lowest on the totem pole. <laughs> You're you the know? problem. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, it's, it's kind of feels not even fun, funny to joke about. Cause I think yeah. there are real people who have, you know, who've had disadvantages or whatever yeah, it is. Sure. Yeah, um, but I think that the root of it is people are saying, I don't want to be put into the box mm-hmm. to where like churches are the evil conservative mega hat people that should all, you know, the media is like, they should all just kind of the opposite of what maybe the crazy far right people would say about the left. It's yeah. like, you know, they, they're to be hated now. And so I think there's mm-hmm. this, yeah. this rise of like, acceptable hatred towards a group. And then there's groups that are saying, uh, here, I've been dealing with this my whole life, whether it be about racial issues or sexuality or bullying. And it's like, there's, there's a, an, could be an empathy, but there's also kind of a fear of like, well, yeah. I don't want to become the ostracized person now. Mm. Have you dealt with any of that at all? Maybe that's more political versus that, but I wonder if the parents are like, mm-hmm. I don't want to be known as the one that like, hates my kid and then I'm I lose custody if I don't transition them or what you know whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, man, these are heavy questions. Yeah. Um yeah, I, you know, there is especially people that are more on social media and online, you know, you do have, you know, cancel culture that is a I would say is a very real thing. I think it exists on the right and the left. Absolutely. You, know, you say something that your tribe doesn't like or somebody digs up a comment and they they want to you know, there's so much fear. There's like witch hunts on both sides of the aisle. Yeah. You know, let's we got to weed out the, you know, the problem people or whatever. Um, so yeah, I think I think that fear is very real. And yeah, I think there are in some circles, yeah, just simply being a Christian or or being a, 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 a heterosexual male is like um, could be problematic. So you start opening your mouth and saying anything that might be contrarian, and and there's fear of the mob coming after you. Yeah, if I. You know, I I um I try to live my world not online. Sure. <laughs> and it's fascinating that when you do that, it's like a parallel universe. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, for the most part, um, human beings are out there. Yeah, you get to know. Yeah, there's these humans out there. You know, in 3D, like the metaverse is. You know. Uh, yeah. 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 So I I would um I've me personally I've tried I don't know it sounds simplistic but I try to 
love people well, hold yeah. true to my convictions. Don't be a jerk. If the gospel's offensive, let the gospel offend, not, you know, a terrible presentation of it offend, you know. Um, love people, honor people that you disagree with. Mm -hmm. You mentioned the political polarization. Like, what if the church modeled in 2021, we've got a wide open lane to honor people we disagree with? Because mm -hmm. nobody's doing that today, right? Yeah. I mean, nobody, nobody. Can you imagine the next presidential election where they're debating each other and stuff? If if it was like a humanizing dialogue where the other candidate said, hey, I see where you're coming from here. And you know what? That's a good point. I'll think about that. But um, maybe consider this. And I know you're you're a wise person and I know you want nothing but what's better for this country. Here's, a, here's another viewpoint that I want you to consider because I think you might be missing. Can you imagine a human? Yeah. Can you imagine that? Nobody's doing that. News outlets aren't doing that. I would just, you know. What if the church modeled that, mm -hmm. you know, like just firm convictions, but humanizing people we disagree, honoring people we disagree with, even if it's a significant disagreement, like, hey, you're still a human being. You still are an intelligent person. And, and maybe you have something you can teach me. Um, here's why I, I do disagree with that point you made, but you're still creating God's image and I love you and and will serve you if you know, whatever you need to be served, yeah. you know, so... I can't even remember what the question was. <laughs> oh, so the school, yeah. So, um, Warner, do you? Yeah, do you want to follow up with that? Because I think you you were touching yeah. on the school, uh, yeah. you know, board meetings and how to be kind of a Christian in the public sphere, and that's those are tough spaces to navigate. I think what what is it's funny about what you know you were talking about, but I think people don't want to be labeled. Yeah, like I I don't want to be labeled that but I want to stay true to this. But then the irony of it, not everybody, but it's, but, but I'm okay labeling the people I disagree with. Oh, so like, yeah. I don't want to be labeled that I'm this, you know, I mean, people throw around terms like fascism or communism or things where you're like, let's be careful about throwing those words around, you know, <laughs> even in the church, it's like, well, yeah. you're a fascist church. Like, well, what, do you <laughs> what know what that, that mean? means? Like, what, like, does, are we going to start marching militarily? I don't know, but it's like, yeah. people don't want those labels. And yeah. so I think that's what they're trying to avoid maybe by, by not having those conversations potentially. I, that's a good point. I don't know if I have a great answer here. In, in my journey, because, you know, it's funny. I mean, sexuality and gender is one of several controversial issues that I, <laughs> I don't know. My wife's like, why do you do this to yourself? <laughs> but yeah, I talk, on you know, my podcast, I talk about all kinds sure. of stuff from like race to hell to different styles of church. And I mean, it's just all the hot button stuff. But um, um, I, I, in those conversations, I do try to avoid broad brush labels mm. Because I don't want to signal to one side or the other to say, say a word and like, oh, so he's in that tribe, you know, mm -hmm. or, oh, he's on that tribe. You know, I, I just want to, because I think that that, I think slogans foster tribalistic identities and allegiances rather than actually um, humbly and thoughtfully discussing the specific issues. Mm -hmm. So like when people ask me, I'll totally go here, you know, hey, Preston, what do you think about CRT, critical race theory? I'm like, and I always say like, which one? <laughs> Yeah. There's, there's different schools of thought yes, within yes. that. And like, well, what's the specific, let, let's, what, what's the specific issue within that that you want me to, because I might respond to, you know, there might be some, some things within that that I don't know enough about to have an opinion. Some things I'm like, yeah, I kind of would lean this direction on this specific question within CRT. And then this branch of CRT, I think is off the rails in this area, this area. I'm not sure about this area because I'm not a sociologist. I'm not an economist, so I can't really speak to that. But I'm thinking through this and I need to read, you know, 
get, get, let's let's get narrowed down. Preston, Preston, what do you think about homosexuality? <laughs> okay, w- give me. A, I mean, let, what do you mean? I, I want to dive into that discussion, yeah. but let's let's instead of like broad brush terms, let's talk about maybe a specific issue within that, so we don't get just lost and just throwing yeah. labels around. It's one reason, you know. I don't. Um, I'm probably saying more than I should. <laughs> hey, we're, we're, we're doing it. It's great. You know, I, I know what the term woke and wokeism means. Sure. Basically, you know. But whenever... Which is what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I can, I can like give a crisp definition, but yeah. I can, it's one of those things like you can spot it when you uh, uh, see it. My, my point though is not, but my, like I avoid that term because if you talk about wokeism, that signals typically to a certain tribe usually on the right, that, oh, so you're of this tribe and you sign mm-hmm. off on everything in this tribe. And it's yeah. like, well, rather than kind of talking negatively about wokeism, let's avoid that slogan and let's break down what specifically are you uh, talking about? Are you talking about like that, you know, being a white, straight, heterosexual, cisgender male is like puts you on the, uh, you know, oppressor side? Mm-hmm. Okay, let's talk about that. Yeah, and that might be one aspect of maybe wokeism to have that kind of viewpoint or whatever. But um, yeah, let's talk about this. Let's have long, humanizing, thoughtful dialogues around specific issues rather than just throwing slogans around, signaling to our tribe, planting our stake. Here's where I'm at. Not I'm in this tribe, not that tribe. Um, I just think Christianity, well, the world really is is more complex than that. Yeah, you know, so. and I think that's one of the reasons why long form podcasts, you mm-hmm. know, are starting to grow because people are saying, oh, I can, I can yeah. actually hear the story. You know. It, you know, not not too long ago, um, and and not to dive into this debate, but it's like Aaron Rodgers had, you know, there was an issue about he said immunized and whatever, and then like the next day he went on a podcast and kind of for forty five minutes talked about what he meant. Now you can agree or disagree with what he did, but it used to not be that way where you could just throw something out there and it's like they can't. There's not a a platform big enough for them to defend their position, mm. and now it's kind of like no, you can you can do that. But I think in the church. We're still maybe a little behind the eight ball on that to where it's, you know, I'm going to do it in my sermon that I got 30 minutes and that's yeah. all I can say. And and you can come back next week to hear more. And, you but know, I'm out of town next week. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, I think these questions are worth discussing. And especially when, and we haven't really gotten too far into this yet, but we're talking about people. Right. Like whenever right. you're, like if, if you have somebody that... um has cancer. I mean, we were, you know, at a table today with two people whose, yeah. whose parents had cancer. Um, you might not make a cancer joke right? that you maybe made yesterday. Well, you say that, you look at them in the eyes and you go, oh my goodness, I just yeah. made a joke where you're like, you know, I'm sick. Is it cancer? Or, you know, and you say that and then you're yeah. like, you look at them and you go, I didn't mean that. I right. know what you're going through. But when you have people in your life, regardless of what it is, that that you know are are walking through tough situations, whether it's it's in their control or out of their control, mm-hmm. you behave differently. And I think so, part yeah, of it is yeah. to say, how many friends do you have that deal with temptations around anything, mm-hmm. but let alone you know LGBTQ yeah, issues? I made that mistake so many times. People think I'm so sensitive and careful of language, and and I I am pretty like particular, like when I'm when I'm. As I'm speaking, it's stressful speaking on this topic because I, I, yeah. my, my mind's going to my, like, how am I, who's going to hear it this way? How am I going to clear it? You know, so, um, so I've, I, I've had to get there, but I still, I, and there's a few weeks go by where I say something and where I think after the fact, what if somebody was in the room who was dealing with that, heard me say it like that, yeah. you know, 
And uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, words can, you know, I said it today, words can build relational bridges or build relational walls. And as Christians, let alone Christian ministers and pastors, man, we need to build relational bridges, man. We don't want to say something that's going to um, cause walls to go up so they're not hearing the rest of what we're saying about Jesus. We don't point mm-hmm. people to Jesus and sometimes using language well is it can, can hinder that or really help that. So, yeah. 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 And I think, you know, thinking through all the context, it's like, oh, would I, would I have said that knowing that there were three right. police officers in the room? Would I have said that knowing that there was, you know, all politicians are this way? Well, there's your, the senator sitting on the front row of church, right. you know, whatever it is. And it's, and his nine year old daughter heard you say that about her dad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's like, now, can you say anything about anybody? There's, you know, right. depending on your church, you might have so many different views. But I think that, that being careful, you mm-hmm. look at the life of Jesus and it was like, he, he called out the Pharisees at times, right. but, he was careful mm-hmm. about what he said. He wasn't, he didn't say, yeah, all mm-hmm. the, all those people over there, you know, it's right. like he would challenge people's, uh, he would challenge the Pharisees on their um, overemphasis on the historical Orthodox mm-hmm. views. But then he would also challenge people who were progressive that were mm-hmm. mischievous, you know, whether that be sexually or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's like, but, but I also see a theme where Jesus is saying, the children are what's important here. You know, you should cast a millstone around your neck if you mislead them. And so there's these, I think what, again, what's masterful about Jesus and what I don't think I could ever even try to replicate, but, but, but do try mm-hmm. is to have those conversations around, like you need to pastor people differently. And that's why from a public stance, it's yeah. important to not say, well, this is what I'm, we, I want you to do. Well, what Preston right. needs to do is different than what Logan needs to do. And right. what he's dealing with is different than what mm-hmm. I'm dealing with. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, pastors, especially, you know, pastors in larger churches like this, you know, if all they do is stand on the stage, I mean, yeah, that's, uh, yeah. I love seeing <laughs> Rob. I mean, just, it, it just seems to really love people, like actual individuals, yeah. knows their names and talks to them. And, and uh, I think that's just so huge because if all you do is just, Especially in this day and age with, with social media, where you can, you know, hit record and give a monologue on a YouTube or yeah. whatever, or say something on social media, and it's it's becoming harder and harder, I think, to, or there's becoming more and more avenues where you can say something without having to deal with the personal ramifications of what you said, because mm-hmm. there's such a distance between you and your audience in many many platforms. So. Um, I agree. You said, you know, I, I, I mean, the long form podcasts, um, I, I think it's like a great avenue because mm-hmm. even like you said, like the sermon, it's all you do is sermons and it doesn't have to be a podcast, but just having other avenues where people can hear you in a conversational, authentic way, really unpack and explain what you mean by something. Cause yeah, sometimes sermons just don't allow for that. You yeah. Know? So. I wonder, maybe it's an idea for some pastors that are listening, but like if, if you preach a message, and you say, hey, if you have questions around this topic, email them to me. And then on my podcast throughout the week, mm-hmm. maybe he doesn't have time to meet with 17 different people yeah. about the questions, but I'll answer those questions mm-hmm. for you that I'm sure other people have. Like, that could yeah. be a good idea. And I'm thinking about that too, as we're reaching younger generations, not abandoning the church, not abandoning what God's doing, but but adding these extra tools for people to say, yeah, I'm, I'm available to you. Again, not maybe not every pastor I know, they can't meet with right. everyone in their congregation, yeah. but... I'll answer your question on my podcast or I'll record something for even for you individually. And, and it's not to share it with everyone, you know, maybe they will, but it, 
I think these tools are mm-hmm. like, we can pastor people digitally, but you can also be very personal, mm-hmm. you know, as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's good. On that note of not having enough context, what do you think is a misconception about you and your work? <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, I, um, because I'm so uh, biblically centered and I, speak very publicly and openly defending the traditional view of marriage. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I get attacked on both sides. Um, so from, I would say from more progressives, they, some, not all, but some would say I'm promoting a theology that is damaging LGBTQ people. And we mm. talked about that too. That's why I brought yeah. up that one argument because that does come up a lot. If you simply... It's one thing if you quietly believe in a traditional view, like, okay, sure. but because I'm a public figure, you know, yeah, that's, I think I'm just, you know, damaging LGBTQ people. And it's like, even even that, like, I, what do you mean by LGBTQ people? Because I have dozens and dozens and dozens of friends that are LGBTQ that follow a traditional sexual ethic. They happen to be gay or lesbian, you know. Yeah. Um, and they're like, I found the life-giving, I've I found the abundant life in Jesus and I'm flourishing, you know, like it's... Yeah. Yeah, there's challenges, certainly. we And to varying degrees, people have challenges with following Jesus, uh, obviously. But um, to just kind of broad brush, like all LGBT people, that's that's just, it's kind of a, um, it, it doesn't respect the individuality of people. So yeah, on, on the progressive side, yeah, for sure. It, you know, there, um, some would say, well, I really appreciate your posture, still disagree with the theology. And some people would go even farther to say, um, you're even more dangerous because you give this persona that you, like gay people, but we know because of your theology, you're actually homophobic or, you know, whatever. Um, and I, you know, you can't guys or something. Yeah. It's Hmm. yeah. Yeah. It's like danger. You're, 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 you're wooing people in and then they're going to, you're going to harm them with your theology or something. (laughs) Big bad wolf. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you got, it's again, you have to like, just stay offline because my neighbor doesn't say that to me. My dad, my son's baseball coach doesn't, you know, um, the real life, that's not how real, you know, I've, I've got this policy I've developed recently that I've, I've, I, on, on something like Twitter or Instagram or whatever, Instagram's not too hostile, but like Facebook, maybe, um, I assume everybody is a Russian bot <laughs> yeah. until they prove that they're a human by talking in a human way. So yeah. I've tried to mute any, any Russian bot. But statistically, <laughs> there's actually a lot. I mean, if I've done some research onto this. Yeah. Like, like people are like, yeah, like we're not talking about the election or anything. There are actually lots of Russian yeah. bots on social media. <laughs> I don't doubt like, it, it, uh, there was a stack that came out. There was something around like potentially like ten percent of social media accounts are not real, and many of them are from yeah. Russia. It's like what? That's so funny. I mean, scary but funny. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah. So on on the on the left. You know, yeah. they would say I'm, I'm, they don't like my biblical stance. On the right, I think on the right, the right would be more difficult because I have, me personally and my family, and I don't, I gotta, I gotta be careful here. Um, I'll just speak plainly and just know I'm not trying to play a martyr card or whatever. Like mm-hmm. I, I, but we, it's, it's cost us a lot sure. to publicly consistently defend the truth of scripture and to, um, to take a bullet for that. Like I'll, I'll, you know, so when I get hit on the right, because they think I'm too liberal or I'm too soft on sin or I'm a slippery slope or some people just flat out think I'm affirming. I've been called a gay act. Some people think I'm actually like I'm gay and I'm an activist. 
I have heard that from people. I've had a friend of mine who knows me really well, I had another friend says, hey, I heard you, you're friends with that gay activist, Preston Sprinkle. <laughs> he's like, you know, he's not gay, right? Like, he's like, no, he is. I'm like, no, I know, like, I don't, like, where'd you hear this from? Isn't that you know? beautiful part of social media? It's like, yeah. you're, you're now something that is not, you're not. And it, right. So, yeah. so there is some people on the right. I mean, I've been called a heretic, all this stuff, because... Yeah, for I mean the the one big one is because I want people to think through the 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 complexity and the nuance of even calling somebody gay. Sure. Um that can it be a Christian who describes himself as gay if they, you know they're believing a traditional sexual ethic, they're they're following that, they have they're not engaging in same-sex activity, but the term gay is the preferable term for them to describe sure. their experience. And I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about that term. Um, and I think that's where, because I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to police people's language. I want to get to know why they use terms or yeah. whatever. And, um, and because I give allowance for allowing people to say they're gay, people think I'm, that's like, mm-hmm. um, you're basically one step away from being affirming, even though that's just sure. miles away from yeah. where I'm at. So that, 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 it, I, I, just, could, I could see that. Yeah. I'm used to it. So my skin's pretty thick on that, but it's still, if I, when I think about it, I'm like, that's. That's come on, like yeah. here, like I'm on the front lines of the theological, you know, mm-hmm. warfare, and I feel like I'm getting shot from behind sometimes, yeah. and it's like, yeah. <laughs> here I am, like <laughs> defending, sure. you know, your, the viewpoint you you cherish so much, but um, but it, you know, it, it's it's um, it is what it is. I mean, I, I I've it's been like that for so long that it's not. I'm kind of used to it. It's just yeah. my Tuesday morning, you know. Sure, <laughs> and and if I if I could add to that, like. As somebody who didn't do all the theological diving that you did, I mean, since reading your books, I've, I've done a lot more of it, mm-hmm. but but kind of when the book was presented to me as, hey, read this, I kind of was in that position. Like, I yeah. I know what I believe. I know a little bit about Leviticus, and I know <laughs> it's in First Corinthians, but I, I truly couldn't defend it if I had a smart person mm-hmm. in front of me that was on the other side. And, mm-hmm. you know, after reading through those things, it it made me go even deeper and and look more. And, you know, I, I don't know Greek, but I, I can find mm-hmm. translations and things right. and really was wanting to learn for myself. But I think that, you know, that term to say, okay, somebody can be gay and be a Christian. Right, it's, yeah. I think because of the, because I know what that means for me. And, and for me being gay was acting upon, you know, yeah. that. So I think that's what's important. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think it's not just in, in uh, LGBTQ conversations, it's important to ask the question whenever you're talking about anything semi-controversial, which nowadays is everything. Yeah. But hey, what do you mean by that? Like you said, yeah. CRT. What do you What do you mean by that? Because if you said CRT is that we shouldn't teach the history of our country and and the slavery, well, no, I don't I don't agree with you on that. But if we're talking about other things, or if you're talking about sexuality and you know even defining what homosexual means, it's having attractions yeah. versus living actively in sexual relationships or or acts. It's like that's an important distinction yeah, that as too. pastors, we shouldn't just fly by and say, if you stand up on stage and say, you know, being gay is a sin. Well, it, if again, if that's what you feel you're supposed to say, you, you, you probably should add some serious context to what that means and handle right. that with grace, knowing that there's someone in your audience that has yeah. same-sex attraction. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that, yeah, those homosexuality is a sin, being gay is a sin, these really broad statements that include all the way from the, you know, an atheist, anti-church, 
gay activists with, you know, same-sex partner, whatever, just that that's on the one end of homosexuality is a sin. The other side is some 14-year-old kid who yeah. has these unwanted same-sex attractions and is scared to death that somebody will find out. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a fr- friend of mine who, you know, raised in a really conservative home and, and he overheard messages, messages that like it's, it's and mom told, his mom told him once that like, hey, I'll forgive you of anything, but if you're gay, wow. you're, I can't forgive you of that. Overheard his dad saying, you know, it'd be better to be, you know, dead than gay or whatever. Well, he all of a sudden is attracted to the same sex, not choosing this as another thing, just mm-hmm. coming upon him. And he's scared to death. Finally, at age of 15, he goes and takes his dad's gun and goes in the bathroom. He's about to kill himself. And luckily somebody led by the spirit called him and said, God loves you just in that moment. And they put wow. the gun down and now he's a pastor, <laughs> wow. married to a wife and still struggles with temptations, but he's one of the most beautiful Christians I've ever met, you know? And so th- that, that, um, uh, imprecise messaging could be well-intended. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, if we're not careful, we can do a lot of damage, not just hurting people's feelings, but pushing people away from, from mm-hmm. Jesus. So yeah. Got to be really careful with our language. Yeah, and I think people. I think that what you just said is what people. I, I don't. I don't mind hurting people's feelings. You know, I don't. Right. I don't have a. I have thick skin, and and they should too. Yeah. And I think it. It's easy to say until you've gone through something tr- tragic. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the cancer thing. It's like, well, no, I don't. That that would not bother me until your wife has cancer, and then it does. You know, yeah. it's you know for people whether it's abortion or other issues. It's like, well, no, that doesn't bother me. Mm-hmm. Until it does, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, man, there was a, yeah, I was part of a Bible study where we talked. You mentioned abortion. We started talking about abortion, and we're talking about it f- from just a moral lens. Sure, is it right? Is it wrong? And I was being kind of provocative. Well, what? Why do you think it's wrong? You know, and just want to challenge people sure. to think. And and people were speaking up, and people were like, da da da. And there was a, a it was a really you know conservative Christians, you know, and you could, I could see this woman's this face was just, I mean. Just she was just stunned and just like I could see she was going through kind of a traumatic moment. Well, she and she's you know uh, married, has older kids. She's been you know been, been a mom for twenty five years or whatever. And well, ended up coming out, or she kind of came to me in tears and said, you know, when I was fifteen, um, I I had sex with my boyfriend and and I got pregnant and my conservative. Parents, I was so, so, so scared to tell them. I could, can't, I could not tell them. And so out of fear, and I didn't have, I was 15, I didn't know what to do. So out of fear, I got an abortion. And I have lived with, I mean, just life-changing, debilitating regret ever since. Mm-hmm. And that was really hard for me to just hear, like, is it right? Is it wrong? Here's why it's wrong. It's wrong, you sure. know? And and she's like, I agree. I I, I that's why I've, I, I know it's wrong. And I so regret, I can't take this back. I, you know, I, mm-hmm. and I was like, Oh my gosh. Dude. Yeah. Like, so just to, we just, we do have to, and, and we do have to be pastorally sensitive in how we um, embody, teach and proclaim the truth. And, and let me, I just want to emphasize what, like we need to, pre- this isn't therefore yes. don't speak the truth. Yes. It's, I mean, it's, it's speaking the truth in love, you know, yeah. with, with pastoral sensitivity, sensitivity so that, People won't just hear the truth, but they will receive it. Yes. You know. So. Yeah. Yeah. That what was that phrase you said today? It was about about that lines about people 
you know, we need to love them or the grace. Oh, yeah. Our truth won't be heard until our grace is felt. Yes. Yeah. That's yeah. what it is. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of a, a yeah, it's a, a summary yeah. statement of kind of everything I'm trying to do here. Yeah. Like I want people to receive the truth, but they need to first feel our grace for them to be in a place where they're really going to like see our truth as being credible. Yeah. You know? And I think as a pastor, that's what I need to hear is there is a way contrary to popular belief, there is a way to teach truth with love mm -hmm. because I think people who are experiencing, just like, you know, that woman you shared about her, her testimony at the abortion or somebody, you know, who's, who has unwanted same sex attractions, you know, they can tell a difference mm -hmm. from a pastor who's, yeah. Oh, yeah. who's bringing their politics or bringing their, um, you know, long time, you know, perceptions to just ramming something again regardless of the issue they can feel the difference between that and saying hey this is what i see jesus saying and yeah. here's why that's important to us and if you disagree with me if you are dealing with this if you know somebody that is struggling i'm available that's good like th the difference between that and a strong statement i think is miles away and Huge. i think that people hear that and and mm -hmm. and if the devil is really getting into people's minds and he's pushing people away and you 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 handle that with grace and love and you feel like you're confident in what God has been speaking to you and they still walk away from the church mm -hmm. like you know, we can't we we can't take that on ourselves but it's am I being that way with what I teach mm -hmm. and I think that's I think again you you no pun intended embody that you know, really well <laughs> yeah. um but but you that's what I appreciate a lot and that's kind of how I led yeah. this conversation is like you want to you want to get it right, but there's people's lives right. that are on the line and there's people that are real and yeah. they have stories and experiences. As we come to a close here, I know you have a podcast, Theology in the Raw. I'm sure yeah. many people have listened to that as well, but I just want to give you a chance you know, to, to wrap up. If there was any other thought or any message to pastors listening where you'd say, hey, this, again, there's a lot that we talked about. Yeah. There's so much out there that you have, I know, on your channel and other things that people can dive in, people to be loved, embodied. You know, there's living in a great world mm -hmm. for, for, you know, young people. It's, there's a lot of resources, mm -hmm. but if there's anything while you're here that you just want to communicate. Yeah. So, I mean, my, um, you mentioned something early on that like pastors just, they don't have the time to do all the research that needs to be done. I want to say a hundred percent. That's, I mean, that's why I exist. I feel like that is my really niche calling is to do all of this for pastors and boil it down to say, okay. You don't have time to read 50 peer-reviewed journal articles on this, whatever. Um, I've been released to do that, so I will do that and to best my ability help guide Christian pastors and leaders and thought leaders in understanding this conversation. So that's 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 the goal of what we do. We've got a ton of resources on our web website, uh, centerforfaith.com. It's a resource center for helping leaders navigate this. And and yeah, I've I've you know, written some books and, and those are listed on there. And then my podcast, you know, we, uh, we, I talk about everything on my podcast. I mean, I, I would say about 20% is usually LGBTQ stuff, but I just had on just a, was released today. A, a couple <laughs> a kick out of this. It was a, um, a male to female back to male Christian who married a female to male back to female Christian. <laughs> So two trans people transition. Follow that, yeah. Yeah. Well, so they're in a they're in a heterosexual. Sure. Well, but then he's gay, she's bisexual. 
um, and they're married to each other, and they love Jesus, and it's a heterosexual opposite sex marriage. Like it's, sure. they, they believe in it, but like their stories and how God brought people together, and it's just so cool to hear. Well, I, yeah, we've already been talking too much, but I just to hear the unique and beautiful ways in which God has worked in people in radical ways, most often through relational proximity with somebody mm-hmm. that was embodying the kindness of God, as Paul says, that leads to repentance. So, yeah. Yeah. One of the final points that you said, you said, trust the gospel, you know, trust that God is going to do mm-hmm. what he does one moment. You know, we, we at River Valley have a, a phrase, we say one moment in the presence of God can change everything. That's good. And yeah. it's that moment that we're believing for anyone who's listening. Maybe you're, you're walking through some of these situations even, and uh, yeah. maybe even as a pastor or others, I know you're, you're a great resource to, mm-hmm. that you have a lot of friends in this world um, that, that could get in touch with, but I just encourage all those listening to, to dive in. I know I have, I've yeah. gone through some of the, the uh, video series mm-hmm. and read many of your books. And so just truly it's, it's been a gift from the start to the finish. Thank you for doing this and uh, just excited for when our paths cross again and that God yeah. can keep on using you to ultimately reach people for him. So. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. It was a pleasure.